inviting me to speak this morning. Uh, of course, my wife and I are often up here. We're drawn not only by the fact that we can see our son, our eldest son David and Catherine, but also, of course, to see our one and only grandson, Matthew, which is a great draw. And in the course of time, of course, over the months and uh, years, I may have seen some of you, but I wouldn't know all your names. Now, I'm really delighted to hear you have this first Sunday approach where you give, you give an opportunity in your cell groups to go out uh, and to serve. Um, it's very important. Uh, we, I suppose, really, as you serve, you also get a chance to find, talk to people and find out what life is like from their side, not just to give, but also to receive. Now, this morning we're talking, I'll be given the topic, who is my neighbor? And uh, it's funny to be talking about this topic, because really in our country now, uh, most people do not know the names of their neighbors. I suppose Priors Park, where the chapel is situated, where I work, is an exception to that. Uh, for other people who who live in uh, other parts of the country, perhaps their neighbours, inverted commas, would be the people they're in contact with Facebook or social media or the like. But where, where in Priors Park, where I minister, uh, well, I'll tell you what happened. When I had not long been in Priors Park, and it was Mother's Day, and we had all these plants for the mothers, and the ones that didn't turn up, we went down uh, one of the roads where a lot of the, our contacts live to give them their pots of flowers. But we never found any of the mums in their own homes. They were always across the road, in the neighbor's house, because they all knew one another, and some of them were related. It's, uh, that's why Priors Park can be called a neighborhood. But that's not the common experience all over the country. And uh, most of us uh, don't count our friends to be, or the ones we are associated closely with, to be our next door neighbors. Now, if we're gonna look at who is my neighbor, we're going to have to look at this well-known and well-loved parable of the Good Samaritan because that was the answer that Jesus gave to the expert in the law who asked the question, who is my neighbor? But before we get there, just let us remember what a parable is. Now, we may think a parable is just a nice story, but Jesus was a great teacher and he wanted to get his point over. And most of the parables just have one point. Occasionally with the lost son, the, the prodigal son, you have two or three points coming out of a parable. But more often than not, there is one main point, or should I say, one main punch to the parable. And uh, Jesus tells, takes a story from ordinary life, like someone getting beaten up and robbed. Uh, I know it doesn't happen in your neighborhood. Maybe. But I can't help, I know it can happen some places in Gloucester, which is not far from us. And, uh, and yet, he tells the story in such a way that there's a twist. There's a twist in the story, and in the twist, so often, is the point, is the punch, is the thing that Jesus wants us to remember and take to our hearts. Just remember the parable of the, of the, the man who invited people to a great banquet. And the punch there was all the people who had been invited, they didn't come. And all the people who got to enjoy the banquet were the people who had not been invited, but some of them had been yanked off the streets and byways. That was a twist with the punch, the punchline. 
But we must go back to the start of this parable that why Jesus told it. And it starts with an expert in the law. I love the way it puts there in this uh, recent edition of the NIV. The expert in the law. He comes to Jesus to test him. And it isn't a nice test. The expert in the law wants to catch Jesus out. Perhaps he thinks that Jesus is a theological nobody. That he's going to catch him out there and he won't know what to say. And uh, so he asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? But in the end, you know, it's not the expert in the law who tests Jesus, but Jesus who tests the expert. The the roles are completely reversed. Experts in the law prided themselves on their knowledge of the law. Just in the same way, perhaps, that we evangelical Christians, we pride ourselves that we love the Bible, that we know the Bible. And quite rightly, it's a good thing that we should hold dear to ourselves. So in some ways, really, this expert in the law is like us. But Jesus turns it around and he asks the question to the expert in the law that he cannot refuse to answer. It's very clever. He says, what does the law say? How do you read it? Imagine asking an expert in the law, what does the law say? How do you read it? Is he really going to say, no, don't know. No, his whole pride is at stake. So he gives the answer that he knew all along. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your mind and with all your soul and your neighbor as yourself. What a brilliant answer. Not perhaps all the answer, but brilliant. I know so many churches, including our own, that include those two verses in their church motto. We have on the walls of the chapel uh, two banners. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. And the second one is love your neighbor as yourself. Just to remind us. But this was even, this was very astute, very discerning of the expert in the law. Because do you know that uh, he didn't have the Jesus teaching and not become well known? And this verse, love your neighbor as yourself, it comes from Leviticus 19 verse 18. And in your NIV, it's in a chapter that is very uninspiringly called various laws. Buried there in a lot of other laws is love your neighbor as yourself. And so the expert in law knew enough to know that that was important and he put it with the great hero Israel. The Lord your God is one Lord. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. He put them two together. So that was no mean feat to do that. And Jesus said, you have answered correctly. Uh, And uh, I think someone who answers that correctly deserves a bit of praise. His theological knowledge, his grasp of the Old Testament was good. But uh, it left a problem, of course, for the expert in the law. Because why did he ask Jesus a question when he knew the answer himself? So he had to kind of restore his reputation. And uh, this is where we come to talking about being a neighbor. And look at the, the, the question that the expert in law asked, who is my neighbor? Now when we look at that, uh, we... Uh, We've got to say, why was that question so important to the religious leaders of the time? Because it was an important question. Why do you have to ask, who is my neighbor? It wasn't a a question that Jesus would ask, but it was a question that the religious leaders, the priests, the experts in the law would ask. 
And uh, in fact, the Jewish religious elite, they had a list of those I would call non-neighbors. We can have that on the screen, please. There we are. Um, did they have a list? Yes, they did. I mean, it's quite obvious when you think about it. Because why did they criticize Jesus? Because he ate and drank with sinners, tax collectors, prostitutes, and other disreputable people. And they would not do that. They would not eat and drink. They would not fraternize with those sort of people. Well, their argument would be, look, God has told us that um, these sinners are unclean. The Gentiles are unclean. They're like unclean animals. Uh, the, these sinners, you know, we're going to get polluted just by touching them. And so they were on their non-neighbor list. And that's the way, even though they knew the commandment, love your neighbor as yourself, um, they didn't put it into practice because there were so many people on their non-neighbor list. And uh, so they knew it, but they blew it. They avoided it. But Jesus, now did Jesus have a non-neighbor list? No. <laughs> Definitely not. There was nobody on his non-neighbor. He fraternized with everyone. He ate and drank with those tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes and others. You know, I sometimes wonder, and please don't be hurt, if we evangelicals sometimes have a non-neighbor list. Do we have a non-neighbor list? When, on one home assignment, when we were home, we were church planters in the Philippines. We were home for the Philippines. And uh, at that time, I think it, Mother Teresa had been talking to Margaret Thatcher about the homeless. And he said the poor are not only in India, they're... they're they're in this country as well, and she'd gone to visit some under a, some bridge in London. And uh, I prayed for them in the service. And for some reason, uh, one lady came up to me when I was on the door saying goodbye to people to say, those homeless people, they deserve what they've got. It's their own fault. Obviously, you could tell on who was on her non-neighbor list. Um, recently, uh, of course, many Christians have been... In, uh, concerned about the uh, gay marriage bill. I went to a church recently in Cheltenham and on the evening service they were praying, they had a prayer meeting after the service uh, because the Lords was, that week was going to discuss the bill and they hoped they were going to throw it out. And uh, so he, the, the man, man came up the front and was, he encouraged people to come to a prayer meeting, quite rightly so. Um, but then he felt compelled to add something to what he was saying. He says, even though we're praying against the gay marriage bill, I think we ought to remember what John Stott said. And then he quoted John Stott. John said, the, the, the ethic of Jesus was a love ethic. A love ethic. And Jesus taught us, with people, to be accepting and non-judgmental of them. Now, why do you think he added that onto it? <laughs> because we quite easily get it wrong. Can I remember Rob Lacey? I think Rob Lacey who wrote the Street Bible. He gave a reading at one conference I went to. And uh, when he read his street version of the Good Samaritan, he substituted for the Samaritan, a gay person came along <laughs> and helped the man in need. 
So that should challenge us. Who is my neighbor? I hope that the answer would be anyone we see who is in need. Jesus at the end, though, asked the expert in the law. He didn't say, uh, so who is my neighbor? He said, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? He said, who of these three do you think was a neighbor? So Jesus actually uh, didn't talk about who was a neighbor. He talked about being a neighbor. Being a neighbor. You know, doing the neighbor act is very good. Sometimes we need that challenge to get out. Just like the disciples in the same chapter were sent out by Jesus to do, to do mission. Right? But Jesus told his disciples later after his resurrection, you are my witnesses. They were to be witnesses, not just to do mission. And here, we're not only to do the neighbor act, we are to be neighbors. But there are lots of things in our way if we want to follow what Jesus is saying here. And we do. Uh, We have to overcome prejudice. Now, I told you this parable has a twist that would not have been lost on the crowd. The, uh, the hero was a hated Samaritan. They were mixed-blood Jews. After the exile, while well, the other Jews were in exile, they, they were left in the land, and they mixed with all the foreign races that were imported into Israel at that time. And Jews and Samaritans did not like one another. Uh, you, you, you get this feel of it in Luke's Gospel, because in Luke chapter, 10, Luke chapter 9, the chapter before, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, And he sends his disciples ahead to a Samaritan village to make preparations for him. But as soon as the Samaritans in the Samaritan village realize that he's going to Jerusalem, they will have nothing to do with them. And James and John come back and said, Lord, send down fire and destroy that Samaritan village. Very warm relationships, isn't that? They would rather fry them than love them. So... There it is. There was not warm relationships. So if we miss that, we miss the point of this this parable. Uh, Now, I regularly take assemblies at the local school in Priors Park. And um, I decided to do the Good Samaritan. But because it's been done so many times by so many preachers that come there, I decided we would have some fun. And we would get the children to dress up and act out the parable. And they loved it. They really loved it. We got some of the children to wear bandanas. Uh, I gave them clubs. Uh, They were only rolled newspapers just to ensure no harm would come. Uh, The the girl who played the the man who was beat up, well, uh, she threw herself into the park so much that she threw herself on the floor and hurt herself a bit. I did warn her about that. but, (laughs) But anyway, now what do you do with the Good Samaritan to make it relevant to the children? Now, on Priors Park, we also have an elderly proportion of the population. And uh, they can be, sometimes feel threatened, I, I can understand why, by antisocial behavior. So you get the, well, I suppose they would call them yobbos, better avoid that word, uh, teenagers with their hoodies um, and cans of beer sitting on their wall and they feel like f- ringing the police. So I got one of the children to dress up in a leather jacket that I had found in, in our dressing up clothes. Uh, I gave him a pair of shades and, and a beer bottle, an empty one, of course. 
for, and uh, he played the Good Samaritan. Uh, because it's just that sort of person that Jesus was talking about. The person who may be fearful for or prejudiced against who did the helping. You know, if Jesus, what about if Jesus had told this story? Just imagine if he had said, instead of using a Samaritan as the hero, he had used an ordinary Jew. There would have been some shock of the story because the ordinary Jew would have helped the hated Samaritan. But there would have been the feel-good factor, wouldn't there? Imagine the crowd listening. Oh, yes, we really can rise to the occasion. We can do the right thing. But Jesus wanted to smash up and remove the feel-good factor. Uh, because sometimes, you know, when we have the feel-good factor about doing good, what does it amount to? Patronizing. It can be very patronizing. So Jesus makes sure that doesn't happen, and he use, makes the hero the very person they may be afraid of and prejudiced against to do it. It was almost like he wanted to shock and shame them into being a neighbor. And finally, if we talked about being a neighbor and overcoming prejudice, we need to talk about being compassionate. You know, in this story, you can't miss it if you really think about it. Jesus emphasizes that Samaritan was the only one who was compassionate because the phrases are the same. When the priest came along, it says, and when he saw the man, saw him, he passed by on the other side. When the Levite comes, it says, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Same phrase, he saw him, he passed by. Then it comes to this Samaritan whom you expect the least of, and he also saw. But the difference is, the second part of the phrase is different. He saw him, and he had pity on him. Do you see what he's getting at? It's really quite shocking. Because if we relate, as I think we should, uh, that it could be us who are passing by on the other side. We could be the theological experts who know what's right, but sometimes haven't got the heart to do it then it shows us how religious people can be so lacking in compassion. What made the, that priest and Levite be so hard? What was it that caused it? Uh, maybe they were afraid that robbers were around, or maybe they were just in a rush and they didn't care. But we, we can't afford not to care. You see, because... There's one person we should always be looking at in the Bible. More than anything else, we should be looking at Jesus. And what was one of the big characteristics of the Lord? He had compassion. How many times do we see that in Jesus? Uh, he, uh, he had compassion on the crowd because they were hungry and he refused to let them go home hungry. He had compassion on the leper who nobody else would touch and reached out and touched him and healed him. He had compassion on people from dubious backgrounds. Prostitutes, for instance. He had compassion on the widow of Nan's Nan when she saw that he saw that the funeral procession pass by and raised her son. Jesus is always showing compassion. He doesn't, uh, in a way... Jesus doesn't have to do the neighbor act. 
Whatever he encounters, compassion came out of him. You see? It wasn't about very mechanically thinking, let's do it. He was compassionate. The Samaritan didn't set out that day, did he? To think, it's first Sunday of the month, I've got to do the neighbor thing. No, he just saw the man in need and his heart was moved because he was compassionate. In a way, the Samaritan, the hated Samaritan, was the only one who was like the Lord Jesus. It's very challenging. You know, sometimes I think that people who watch us as evangelicals can think we don't care. There was a, there's a lady, uh, one, one Friday, it was my day off, I, had a, I found there was an answer, there was a, 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 a call on my answer machine. So I played it back, it was from a lady called Val. And Val is not a member of our church. I almost met her by accident when I was visiting. And uh, she invited me in this, on my first visit to her immediately. And she was in great pain, she was alone, she felt nobody cared. And I just talked to her. Um, and she did a lot of talking herself. She was um, a very interesting background, a very, in some ways, um, she had had a bad past and childhood. And I visited her several times. There, wasn't, there hasn't been that much opportunity sometimes to share. Uh, what she does allow me to do is, is when she shares about God, I'm also allowed to talk about my relationship with God. But she, this phone call, this call on my answer machine was from her. And she said, I haven't got much time left to live and I would like to speak to you. She had been, when I went to see her, I arranged to see her the next day. Uh, she'd been diagnosed with cancer and she's only got till the end of this year to live. And when I went round to see her, she wanted me to be there to officiate at her service at the crematorium. She was going to be cremated. And the reason she gave why she wanted me to do it was, she said, I've known many pastors and they've all just preached at me. And none of them have seemed to care. I hope we do care. I hope we do have compassion. Because if we don't, there's something really missing from us that was in Jesus and Jesus wants to, uh, to be in us. We've got to really care. Care about people. And uh, if we can just have our final slide there. I think there's one, if nothing else will move us to care, I think we should remember that once upon a time we were in a fact the beat up man. You know that man in that story, he was beat up, he was left to die, even his clothes were taken. He needed someone to help him. Well, once upon a time, if we were Christians, we were in a desperate plight, far away from God, without hope in the world, it says in the Bible. And Jesus showed compassion on us, didn't he? He did. Are we going to return the favor or think we're just so good, we're too good to touch anybody else? <laughs> I hope not. You know, when we were in the Philippines, we were, we were church planters there. Early on, we were on a bus in Manila. 
And it was crowded. It was like sardines on that bus. It was very hot. We had, was it a child or two? I can't remember if we had both our children then. Um, pushchair in one arm, a child each, shopping in the rest of it. And guess what? Before the conductor came around, someone had taken my wallet. <laughs> and we were very distracted. And uh, suddenly, a young woman, dressed in white, because she worked in a pharmacy, uh, came up to us and said, saw the, she probably saw the man who took, the, took our wallet. But it wouldn't have been wise to challenge them, because they were probably in a group. And uh, she took us home, and uh, she gave us a meal, her brother gave us a meal, and then they put us back on a bus, paid our bus fare, to get us back to the language school. Wasn't that great? That was wonderful. Now, many years later, when we were back in this country, was it just uh, last year, my, our daughter, we picked up our daughter at the coach, it was late at night, and, uh, but she'd phoned us in advance to say she'd picked up someone on the bus. Uh, he was from one of the EU countries. He was, work, he, he was a volunteer in a Christian organization. And he'd missed his pickup. And uh, when we looked at the letter he had from this Christian organization, I realized that if we were going to take him to where he wanted to go, it, we would be coming back at one o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I was very tempted not to do it, but... I just remembered that angel on the bus in Manila. <laughs> and I couldn't do it. I couldn't refuse it really anymore. When we see someone in need, we need to remember Jesus <laughs> and what he did for us. So we won't become hard-hearted, but we could be compassionate like this Samaritan was. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ. And even though, Father, we remember that you have commanded us to love our neighbor as ourself, we also remember, and this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. We thank you so much, Jesus, that you did that for us, that you became on that cross the atonement for our sins. Father, if you had not sent your son, where would we be? We would be totally lost and far away from you. And now we ask you, Father, to send your spirit into our hearts so we may not have a hard heart like the priest and the Levite, but we may have the compassion of Jesus in us. Be ready at any moment to act and to be a neighbor when you call us to be, to follow our Lord in that way. For his name's sake. Amen.